Today is April 23rd, 2021. LeBron James causes a giant stir after a controversial tweet, and legislators look to pass police reform after the Derek Chauvin conviction. I'm your host, Austin Taylor, and this is Split the Difference Podcast. Here we take a look at both sides of the political aisle as we try to bridge the gap between today's biggest issues. Remember, times may be divisive, and we may not always agree, but together we can stay level-headed, be reasonable, and always split the difference. Welcome back, Split the Difference friends and Split the Difference family. We got another fantastic episode for you here today, ending this week strong, heading into another great weekend. We are looking at all of the good and the bad on the left, all of the good and the bad on the right, and of course, doing our best to be level-headed and reasonable, split the difference and find that sweet, sweet truth that oftentimes lies right there in the middle. If you guys have not already, go and check out the guest episode that was just released yesterday morning with Will Bellamy. It was super good. It's a little bit of a longer, I think actually the longest podcast that we've done so far, but we covered a wide range of topics. Uh, He's an incredibly interesting person and he has a very, very unique life experience that I think many of you will enjoy listening to and kind of hearing from. So definitely go and check that out because I think that you guys are going to benefit and learn a lot from it just in the same way that I did being able to sit there and talk with him and catch up a bit for the first time in a while. So with all of that, that is, let's go ahead and hop on in to our first story of the day, story number one. So for our first story of the day, uh, LeBron James makes some controversial tweets and pretty much just causes a firestorm. So in the past year or so, racial tensions have been at an absolute fever pitch, more so and more often uh, than they have been in a very, very long time. And the politicization of racial tensions has also exploded as well. Even if you look back and you think back to the Obama era and even back into the 90s with the Rodney King uh, police shooting and stuff like that, like Things were bad, right? But they've never been to the place in a long time that they're at right now. Um, And with the Derek Chauvin conviction that happened just within this week, uh, police officers are in a hotter spotlight than they probably have ever been. And just about everyone is weighing in on it, not just politicians, but celebrities and big time athletes as well. So all of this Uh, started with LeBron James kind of coming under fire from a lot of people after another video surfaced of a police officer killing a young black woman in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. Once the video leaked or pretty much the story leaked, uh, people took to social media in droves to express their disdain for the situation. Uh, There's no doubt that it was tragic that it happened to say the least. Um, However, it is not even necessarily clear that the cop actually did anything wrong. And we'll get into a little bit of that as to why. Um, so in order to understand kind of, the, I guess, the context around what happened with LeBron James, you kind of have to understand the story. So let's go ahead and hop in real quick. This is NBC News reporting on this uh, a day or so ago. Just before yesterday's verdict, a police officer shot and killed a 16-year-old black girl in Columbus, Ohio, saying she was threatening others with a knife. Police body cam video was quickly released. Our Kevin Tibbles has that story, and I need to caution you. The images are difficult to watch. 
Police body cam video shows Micaiah Bryant's final moments. When a Columbus, Ohio police officer responding to a call gets out of his car and seconds later fatally shoots the 16-year-old girl. Authorities say Bryant was threatening two other girls with a knife. It's a tragedy. There's, there's no other way to say it. It's a 16-year-old girl. Officer Nicholas Reardon, who joined the force in December of 2019, was responding to a 911 call. We need a police officer here now. Video shows Reardon approaching a group of young people in this driveway. What the video shows is the female with the knife attempting to stab the first female. Reardon fires his weapon four times, striking Bryant. Officers are seen and heard performing CPR. Body camera footage shows a knife on the ground. The city released video from the incident within hours and launched an independent investigation. Okay, so what happened? So if you haven't watched any of the footage or heard what happened over this past couple of days, in this case, a police officer pulled up to an already absolutely chaotic scene. He got out of his car alone. He was the first police officer to arrive there. Uh, there were numerous people standing in the driveway. As soon as he gets out of his car, his body cam footage shows that a 16-year-old girl, we later find out that her name is Micaiah Bryant, starts to attack one person with a knife. Uh, she then turns around and starts to attack another person behind her with a knife. The cop pulls out his gun, tells her to stop. She does not stop, so he shoots her a couple of times, defending not only his life, but more importantly, likely saving the life of the person that she was trying to kill. So because we live in a world where everyone receives a small portion of the knee of the news, uh, oftentimes it doesn't actually encapsulate the entirety of the story or what is going on. It has a very, very specific bent and bias as to the point that it's trying to get across. Uh, everyone hears that small bit of news and then immediately jumps to conclusions and so that's what everybody did. Everyone took to Twitter and social media, immediately attacking the police officer. People literally see that it was a white cop and it was a black person that was killed and, of course, assumed that he was purposefully trying to kill her, kill her or that it was racially motivated or there was nefarious things you know, behind what actually happened. One of those people was LeBron James. So LeBron James has now come, uh, come under fire for, um, in the past, you know, saying some things that were a bit controversial uh, and, you know, not necessarily the best, right? But this one definitely takes the cake. It's probably the most controversial thing that he's ever said. He decided to tweet out a picture of the police officer with the caption in all caps, your next hashtag accountability. So LeBron James has over 50 million followers and now pretty clearly was threatening this cop, right? I, I don't know how you can bend that to where it looks like he's not threatening or calling for threats on that police officer. Uh, I've heard a couple of different takes that like, oh, LeBron James was just upset, you know, with what happened. And, you know, he was just trying to say that like there needs to be more accountability. I don't know. I mean, doxing a police officer, showing what he looks like, and then saying you're next after someone was killed by gunshots, it just looks to me like that's kind of a pretty clear call for violence. So 
Now, I understand that our definitions of what is inciting or threatening violence are pretty loosey-goosey here, especially of late, uh, and for the most part, it shifts based upon the person that was saying it and the political agenda, right, that is wanting to get across. But this is the second time within the past week that someone with a really loud voice has called for direct confrontation to the police and has called for fighting or has called for violence. The first person I talked about on my Monday podcast, good old Maxine Waters, a Democrat out of California, who used literally almost the exact same language that Donald Trump used right before the riot on January 6th that he was subsequently impeached for in the House using words like, we have to continue to fight, right? We should be more confrontational right? In fact, the words that Maxine Waters use were much more direct calls for any type of violence or confrontation than anything that Donald Trump ever really used, right? A direct call for confrontation is exactly that, okay? Donald Trump got impeached for it. Maxine Waters is yet to be called out by anyone within the Democratic Party, which the amazing thing is, People are actually defending LeBron James and Maxine Waters, saying that this emphatic use of language is well-deserved and that it should be used, okay? Mainly because both of them are pretty outspoken Democrats. So the hypocrisy to me is absolutely, like, astounding, okay? I am by no stretch an avid defender of Donald Trump, okay? If you have listened to any of my podcasts in the past, I am not a fan of Donald Trump, have not been for a very long time. I condemned what he said on January 6th, and I will continue to do that as well. I, like many people, think that Donald Trump's rhetoric was absolutely abhorrent on almost all occasions, and the way that he communicated was absolutely terrible. But there have to be equal standards on both sides. They're due. Calling for fighting and confrontation on either side of the aisle has got to stop. It just has got to stop. And popular celebrities and politicians the like need to be incredibly careful about the language that they use. Tweeting out that a police officer should be next, okay, is an incredibly clear sign that you are calling for him to have some sort have some sort of the same fate or have some sort of the same repercussions that that girl had and the person that was on the video, okay? The thing that really confuses me here about all of this, okay, is what exactly do people want when they're going out and they're being confrontational to the police or they're calling for the police to be reformed or, you know, what exactly, what exactly is it that LeBron James, what is he getting at when he says you're next, right? And because this, this case that he's tweeting about is an incredibly clear case, okay? The officer was doing his job and protecting the people that were in danger. To me, the most sickening part out of all of this, okay, every bit of this, all of the stuff that has happened around this Micaiah Bryant case, LeBron James tweeting stuff out, Maxine Waters being ridiculous, the most sickening part about all of this is that if the black girl, Micaiah Bryant, that was there, would have just stabbed to death another black person in that driveway as the cop just stood there and looked on, it would have never made the news. It wouldn't have. And I'm not saying that to be you know, confrontational. I'm not saying that to say something, uh, to, to get a wow factor. It's just simply the truth. Okay. If Micaiah Bryant 
would have been in the driveway holding a knife and stabbed and killed one or two of the other black people that were standing in the driveway with her. Nobody would have talked about it at all because there are currently in the United States and multiple large cities throughout the United States an incredibly large amount of black on black crimes that happen every single day. And there's literally zero news coverage of it. Okay. The only reason that the media took this and ran with it is because it was a white cop. Okay. And I'm not saying that we do not have a problem with policing and police reform in this, in the United States. In fact, that's my second story. And I will proceed to talk about that later in the ways that I think police reform need to happen. Okay. I get and I understand that it is absolutely horrible to see and hear that there are people, and especially black people, that are killed by police. We unfortunately live in a world where crime happens every single day, and police officers have to make incredibly quick decisions that oftentimes could mean the difference between life and death for not only them, but the people around them as well. But calling for more confrontations and attacks on officers is obviously not the way that this needs to go. Okay. Pushing this narrative that there are white cops going into work every day with the sole intent of attacking and killing black people is false and incredibly harmful. Okay, people within the Democratic Party should be calling for Maxine Waters to resign. Okay, just in the same way that they called for Donald Trump to resign and the way that I think that Donald Trump should have been impeached for the language that he used and inciting the violence that he did. Okay, and for the people in the NBA that are supporters of LeBron James, they should be calling for fines and suspension from the NBA as well for LeBron. Just because he's LeBron James does not mean that he is beyond the realm of being held accountable for the things that he says and does. Okay, At some point as a country, we all have to wake up and we all have to realize our words and our actions have consequences. And we have to come together to try and figure out the solution to the difficulties and what is going on. Okay, There is is a problem with policing in the United States. There absolutely are reforms that need to be made to that. But saying that the vast majority of cops are bad or that they're wanting to go out and kill black people in the streets every day is not true and it is not helpful in trying to push along the conversation of police reform. Cherry picking a story because it just happens to be a white cop and a black person that was killed does not necessarily help the conversation getting pushed forward. It just doesn't. And it's unfortunate that now, you know, there are so many people that are on the right side of the aisle that are watching and listening to all this coverage about LeBron James right now and Maxine Waters and the stupid stuff that they've said in the last week. And their hearts are slowly but surely getting more and more hardened to the idea that there needs to be criminal justice reform. It's so unfortunate. It really is. So with all of that, that is the end of our first story of the day. Let's go ahead and hop on into our second story and our last story, story number two. So for our second story of the day, we normally do three, I know. So hold your horses, there's a reason behind this. A lot of this all kind of flows together today. It's kind of all, the whole show is going to kind of be around this police reform conversation because it's an incredibly large topic right now. Um, and uh, there is actually legislation that's kind of being pushed through right now around police reform. So I figured now's a good time to talk about it. So unlike Maxine Waters and LeBron James, there are actually people that are trying to get something done. One of those people is good old Tim Scott, Republican senator from great state of South Carolina. Gotta love the Palmetto State. Okay. Now, Tim Scott, 
I don't agree with every bit of his politics, right? I don't agree with the vast majority of everybody's politics to, to begin with, right? But he is one of the few Republicans that has actually stepped in and said that police reform is one of his major priorities, okay? He is the only black senator in the GOP, and he believes currently that he is in a key position right now to hopefully try and help bridge the gap between the two parties so that sensible and quality legislation can be passed to help the current situation at hand. So Scott said on weekend, quote, I'm confident that the issues that I've been discussing as it relates to making progress on police reform are today. They have more traction than they had last year. So there's currently a bill now that is being considered in Congress. It's called the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act. So it was named of course, after George Floyd, who was killed last year by Derek Chauvin, who was just convicted of murdering George Floyd this week uh, for second degree murder and third degree murder as well. So this bill was passed. The George Floyd Justice and Policing Act was passed by the House in March, completely along partisan lines. So it was uh, all of the Democrats voted for it. None of the Republicans voted for it. They kicked it over into the Senate, uh, I believe, in late March or early April, and it died there because they weren't able to get 60 votes for it to be able to kill a filib- get past the filibuster, and the Republicans were like, yeah, we're not voting for this at all, okay? So Tim Scott came out and said that he thinks that the impasse actually can be broken, though, depending on whether or not the Democrats are willing to compromise on a couple of things. So Tim Scott is basically saying... He thinks that there is good, sensible legislation that can be met, a compromise in the middle between the Democrats and Republicans to actually get something done, right? Call him, call him or call me, pie in the sky, right? I agree with him. I think that it can happen. So the House passed bill uh, would do a few things, okay? First, it would ban chokeholds. So that's basically the cutting off of oxygen supply to someone uh, if they're arrested. The second would be carotid holds, so cutting off the blood supply of someone. No-knock warrants, that being able to enter into someone's premises without giving them any form of any form of warning at all. So you basically obtain a warrant and then you go to their house without them knowing that you're coming to their house and you pretty much break into their house in order to be able to surprise and then arrest someone. So if anybody remembers back to Breonna Taylor that was killed by police, she was killed by police last year. Uh, it was from three cops in plain street clothes, none of them had on uniforms, barging into her apartment and then proceeding to shoot shoot 32 bullets in and throughout the the apartment um, because they had no idea who was barging into their house. Brianna Taylor and and her boyfriend had no idea who was coming into their house. He fired one warning shot. They rang out 32 rounds um, and killed Brianna Taylor. Uh, Literally a story that does not even make sense as to how it could even happen, but that kind of thing happens every day where no-knock warrants are allowed. So it also, this this bill would also create a database of police officers who have acted inappropriately in the line of duty, and there's a provision in it that would effectively kill qualified immunity. So, Instead of speaking through the left and the right side of the aisle on this, because I've done that a lot over the past couple of weeks, specifically over this issue and the criminal justice issue, and pretty much everyone sees and recognizes that the Republicans are kind of against it, the Democrats are all for it, um, I think it's more important to kind of just break down what each of these different things mean, uh, talk about how I think it could pass based upon a compromise or a solution, um, and kind of give a little bit more context around what's actually being talked about in the criminal justice reform area, because I think that's actually important. Instead of just saying we want change, 
I think it's important to actually give definitions to what that change could be. So, personally, I am a fan of this bill for the most part, outside of a few things that I do think could be or need to be changed, okay? So, first, with the bans on chokeholds, I'm all for it, all that needs to go. Ridiculous. The fact that choking someone as a police officer is allowed, unbelievable. You are allowed to choke somebody, either a carotid or a regular chokehold cutting off their air supply, when they are already in handcuffs. What? There's no re- no need, no reason for that at all. When you already have handcuffs, a taser, mace, oftentimes a baton, and a pistol on your body to defend yourself and force compliance, it is ridiculous to think that you also need to get on the back of someone who is already handcuffed in order to choke them and force compliance. Plus the fact, with the incredibly small amount of training that most police officers actually get, they are not nearly qualified enough to be throwing out chokeholds on criminals. People train for years and years to be able to learn how to properly administer and execute a choke of any co- of any sort before using it in any sort of mixed martial arts settings. Okay, And even then, it's always done under heavy supervision because it is incredibly dangerous. You can easily kill somebody, hold it a little bit too long, you can hurt somebody's neck, hurt somebody's back, break things. Plenty of awful things can happen when you're throwing a chokehold in. Why does a police officer need to use that? I don't know. Okay, I just... I don't, I don't know. There are plenty of other means by which to be able to get someone into compliance. So, second thing. No-knock warrants. The fact that this is even a thing is... I mean, just mind-blowing to me. I cannot wrap my mind around why a no-knock warrant would ever be considered a good idea, okay? I get, you know, so if, if people know that you're coming to the place, right, or, uh, you know, if, if, if you're trying to serve them a warrant or something like that, they're going to try and run away, they're going to try and get away, it's going to be more difficult for, the, for you to arrest them. But a no-knock warrant, the idea that people can show up to an apartment in plain streets clothes, all right, cops can show up to an apartment in plain streets clothes, okay, is not only putting the people that are behind the door in danger, okay, but it is significantly endangering the police officers as well. For all of the Republicans out there, okay, thought experiment, okay, all my Republican listeners that support a no-knock warrant and are also avid supporters of the Second Amendment, supporters of the NRA, card-toting, all right, you got your gun ready to defend yourself and defend your family and your house if someone comes in. I would legitimately like to hear how you or someone like you would react if a police officer in plain clothing barged into your house in the middle of the night without saying whether or not they were the police, you have no idea who they are. And then all of a sudden you are faced with three to four large men brandishing guns coming into your home where your wife and kids are. What would you do? My guess is, you know, along with all of the other Republicans that support no knock warrants and also the second amendment, You would be whipping out your pistol or your AR-15 faster than you have ever done it in your entire life because you would be justifying it based upon defending your home, okay? And you should be defending your home, right? I am also a supporter of the Second Amendment, right? But the idea that these police officers can come in Without knocking on the door, just barging, coming straight through, knocking that door down, pistols out, guns brandished, and expect people to just be like, oh man, I should just sit here and and try to figure out what's going on real quick for, for a couple of minutes before I decide to defend my home. It could be police officers. 
Nobody's thinking that. Nobody's going through that thought process at two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning uh, when you're just all of a sudden startled and woken up, right? Not going to happen. No knock warrants. Got to go. Like, I have no idea how they're still here. So the last thing and the largest thing I think around all of this is the issue of and the discussion around qualified immunity, okay? So getting rid, getting rid of qualified immunity really would have an incredibly large impact on police departments across the country. It would. I mean, that is, that's not a, a discussion or something that should be taken lightly, okay? So qualified immunity is basically the law that protects officers from most all civil lawsuits, okay? And keeps them from being sued personally for damages or things that happen, even if it is caused by them while they are on the job. So, it basically, you know, keeps them protected unless the plaintiff is able to show that an officer violated, quote, a clearly established statutory or constitutional right of which a reasonable person would have known. Okay. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's almost like you're always going to give the cop the benefit of the doubt. Okay. That's kind of the easiest way to sum up qualified immunity. The cop always gets the benefit of the doubt. It's incredibly difficult to sue a cop for any sort of civil lawsuit or any type of civil liability. Okay. The cop is almost always going to either win the case or the case is not even going to be taken by a judge at all. So, uh, it makes it very difficult uh, to hold cops accountable for a lot of the things that they've done. And in a lot of ways, um, it, it allows for cops to almost, um, I wouldn't say feel like they can do whatever they want, because I think you'd be hard pressed to find a cop if you ask them, like, oh, do you feel like you can just walk around and do whatever you want with impunity? The vast majority of the cops that you ask that would, of course, be like, no, what? No, of course I'm held accountable. Like, I can't just do whatever I want. Um, but the reason why the Republicans oppose it is because it would basically open police officers up to being personally sued, okay? And they argue that pretty much no one would become a cop if they knew they had an incredibly high potential of being sued, and then they wouldn't have nearly enough cops to actually go out and work the streets and keep everybody safe, okay? The Democrats want it gone because they believe it will hold the police more accountable than they're being held right now. The whole kind of shtick and the argument from the Democratic side of the aisle is basically that we need to be able to hold our police officers more accountable than the ways that, than how they've been held accountable in the past, okay? Their argument for getting rid of qualified immunity is that almost no other job has qualified immunity and all those jobs still exist and they're able to find people to work them. Cops wouldn't be any different except now they'd be held to a much higher standard. And at any point, if a cop did something that would be violations of someone's constitutional rights or statutory rights, they would immediately be able to be sued very quickly and very easily. Okay. So the compromise for this um, is actually something that I think Senator Scott has proposed as well, which would be to allow for police departments to be sued, but not for the cops to be sued personally, okay? And the differentiation here, I think, is, is very important, okay? That way a cop, like a, a police department can be held accountable for any officer that went in and violated someone's rights, okay? The officers themselves would not be financially ruined if it, was, if it was found that they actually did violate someone's rights in some way or another. And the departments would start to invest very heavily in making sure that their cops knew exactly what they were doing and maybe even not have police officers going out and doing a lot of the calls, right? Maybe they would have other people that were public servants that didn't have weapons or uh, that were doing 
maybe uh, routine, like handing out of tickets or, or different things like that, uh, that, you know, maybe didn't have weapons or, you know, were there for a different purpose. Okay. As of now, um, you know, cops are pretty much in a lot of ways not going to be impacted or not able to be sued for a lot of the different things that otherwise anybody else would be able to be sued for. Okay. Uh, police departments would immediately make sure that their cops knew what they were doing because if they didn't, then they'd get taken to the cleaners. And of course the police officer would be fired immediately. So all in all, around all of this, all of this subject. Okay. This is probably one of the more hotly debated and more important issues uh, of the current day without a doubt. Okay. And I'm happy there, that there are at least a few people in Congress that are legitimately working hard on this right now. I'm, I'm happy that Tim Scott is willing and able to reach across the aisle and try and find some sort of compromise, try and find some sort of sensible legislation to try and reform the policing that we have in the United States, to hopefully try and reform the criminal justice system. I think for a lot of people to uh, to believe or to think that the Derek Chauvin verdict this past week of finding him guilty is thinking that that's going to actually change anything in a tangible way, that's not going to happen. Right. I mean, I personally was a fan of the verdict. I think that that was the correct thing that should have happened. There are a lot of political pundits on the right side of the aisle that would strongly disagree with that assessment. But I, I agree with it. I think that the jury got it right. But I don't think that that itself is actually going to uh, put forth any change. Right. You have to have change actually done through legislation, through policy. OK, um, I appreciate that we have some people like Tim Scott. Uh, we've got some people like Cory Booker is out there doing a lot of work on police reform right now as well. Listen, I'm not the biggest fan of Cory Booker either, but I appreciate the fact that he's willing and able to put, put in the hard work to get reform out there. Okay. I really do hope that something is able to get passed soon. Uh, and you know, that we're able to start see, seeing a higher level of training and education is something that is required for officers uh, across the United States. And we're able to see, uh, you know, some sort of reform happen to our, not only our criminal justice system, but our police officer and, and how things are handled, uh, from where they currently are right now. Absolutely want to see that. Uh, Maxine Waters and LeBron James, they're not helping though. Sorry, just they're just not. So with all of that, that is the end of our second story and our last story of the day. Let's go ahead and finish it up on something that made me smile. So something that made me smile this week and this weekend, I guess, is really kind of twofold. One, I'm going to plug the guest episode again because it was absolutely amazing and you guys should totally go listen to it. But secondly, uh, one of my best buds is actually getting married this weekend, and I am super excited for it. It is going to be a ton of fun. He was actually on my third guest episode. His name is Kyle Jones. Many of you probably listened to that episode, but he's getting married this weekend, and uh, we're we're just going to have a blast. We're going to be having great food, great drink, great laughs, and good dancing, and it's going to be a really, really good time, and I am very much looking forward to doing that. So with all that, that is the end of our show today. Thank you so much for stopping by and for checking us out. As always, y'all, we're going to do our best to stay level-headed. We are always going to be reasonable. And of course, we're going to split the difference. This is Austin Taylor. Thank you for listening to Split the Difference Podcast, written, recorded, and hosted by Austin Taylor. If you're interested in getting in touch with me on Instagram, you can find me at Split the Difference Podcast. I'm on Facebook and YouTube at Split the Difference and on my website at splitthedifference.com. Production for the intro and outro music done by Rosewood Records Recording Studio. 
If you're interested in booking or learning more about them, you can reach them on Facebook or Instagram at Rosewood Records SC or on their website, www.rosewoodrecordssc.com.